MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to What Future? I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. And I thought I'd be coming to you this week to talk about the end of American democracy, which seemed, I don't know, very likely based on the way the media depicted what was about to happen in the midterm elections and based on how the Republicans were talking about crime in America which of course is rampant and out of control and uh, coming to a town near you at any moment. But now we are uh, a couple of days past the midterms and it did not go nearly as well for the Republicans as I think everybody thought it would. And it did not go as badly for the Democrats as everybody thought it would. And it turns out it's kind of a split decision, really. It seems like the Republicans may get control of the House Seems like Democrats may hold on to a narrow, very narrow control of the Senate and will continue to get nothing done in Washington or in any other political arena in America. So, you know, that's good. I think for the most part, I feel like we didn't lose, you know, the right to vote in America this week, which sounds like that's bottom of the barrel, sort of low, low stakes for things. But that's kind of where we are. Anyhow, so. All that said, that means we can engage in conversation about something else, which I think for all of us is going to feel really great. And that's why I'm excited to talk about a topic that has, I would say, almost nothing to do with American politics or politics generally. And that topic is, of course, artificial intelligence that creates art. So there's several bots that do this. One has recently become widely available to the public. It's a bot called Mid Journey. 
from a user perspective, from a person's perspective, what you can do is you can sit down and type something and it will generate based on all of the images it's ever looked at, which are billions of images on the internet and wherever else, databases they feed it and stuff like that. It will generate what it thinks you want from a prompt, from a sentence. You actually use it through Discord, which is like kind of a chat you know, network, which was popularized by gamers. But Discord, you can basically go and talk to the Discord bot for mid-journey and you can say, for instance, Dracula explaining his vampirism to a crowd of onlookers. And it will generate four different images that it thinks capture your idea. And they're insanely accurate. They look like somebody painted a picture of something that you wanted. It is essentially like the closest thing to being able to visualize a dream I don't know that I've ever had my mind more blown by anything a computer has ever done than this piece of software. I mean, it is hard to articulate what it feels like when you write a sentence of something that seems completely impossible and then see a pretty good representation of it in a matter of like 30 seconds, 45 seconds, maybe a minute to see your first four versions of something. Let's just say you're not an artist. You're not a designer. You're not going to make your living off of doing paintings for magazines or whatever. You're just a person. From a pure, like, thrill level, as a person, I think this is fucking amazing. It is, like, the most fascinating and most amazing thing I've almost, I, maybe I've ever done on a computer. And I've done a lot of stuff on the computer, you know what I mean? But this is, like, trippy. I mean, it's fucking insane. It's, like, it, like I said, it's sort of, like, as close as you might get to you know, you had a dream and you can then see the dream. I would also say what's interesting is that it is like a computer dreaming. I mean, what it is, is you giving this like what, what I consider to be fairly abstract input to a computer and the computer deciding, making all of these really creative decisions about what that thing should look like. Anyhow, I'm not an artist. I'm not a painter. I have been working with Midjourney to create art for this podcast. And you can see some of the prompts for these, some of the ones that I did. Science fiction paperback book cover about society in the future. One of them is a phrase from Blade Runner, attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion, which is Rucker Howard has this monologue at the end of Blade Runner, and that's one of the things he says. And it created imagery based on that sentence. Um, Dracula explaining his vampirism to a crowd of onlookers. You can see several variations. I mean, they are fucking beautiful pieces of art in my opinion, like legitimately beautiful pieces of art. There is some art in figuring out how to get this thing to do what you want or to at least create a result that is that is pleasing. Now, anyhow, what's interesting about this, and there's many interesting things about it, and like I'll just go down the list of some of the ones that I'm thinking about. First off, there's obviously this question about art, like what is art and is this art and what kind of art is it? Meaning, as a guy who's run a lot of newsrooms and a lot of publications, I could see this as very functionally important in like an organization that needs original art for things, but maybe doesn't have the budget or the time to generate original art for everything they'd like to generate original art for, right? So there's an implication there, like for me, that I'm like, oh, that's really interesting, right? That's really exciting. I follow a bunch of designers and artists on Instagram, and they have been talking about this for a while. I mean, this opens up an enormous amount of serious questions. Like, for instance, the, the bots are obviously taking content and material and analyzing it and learning from it and, in some cases, replicating it in some way from, from a real artists, right? From historic, you know, pieces of art up to modern pieces of art. 
as far as I know, in essence, these AIs can go and look at and then learn from. But there's this little bit of controversy, or not a little bit, maybe a lot, from some artists who say, this is, you know, it's theft of our work. You know, they're using things we've created without any license to do so and in creating new works based on it. That argument to me is a little bit like every artist uses somebody else's work to create what they do. I mean, as we know, remixing in music has become one of the baseline ways you make music now, no pun intended on baseline. So the idea of like sampling somebody else's art to create something new is not new. I think what's sort of insane and and threatening on a bunch of different levels is that this is creating real art, really interesting pieces of art and imagery that have real applications, whether it's hanging in a gallery or using for an illustration in a magazine or whatever. Um, And it is just removing a person completely, basically. This image that I created for the podcast is a perfect example. I could sit with a designer and tell them about what I wanted and show them examples. Can you make something like this? And we could work through it over and over again until we got to something that fell right. The idea that I could just say it and it could be like, this could be it. This could be the art for the show. And that's one job that a artist is not going to get now. Like for sure, right? There's an implication for people who work in these fields that is way different than what we're talking about. Like I was like, at a pure human level, this is thrilling. But on the flip side of that, there's entire industries that potentially are wiped out by this. What does this open up? I think is a question that I don't know the answer to, which is in five or 10 years, this is going to be so much more capable to create things like this. Capable to a point where I think it's likely in the next five to 10 years, you can simply tell it to do something, whatever it is, and it will create a perfectly photorealistic version of it. I mean, and there are versions of this where you can say, you know, show me this thing and show it to me in these different styles. And it'll show you an image in the style of this painter or like it was a photo taken from this era or like it was, you know, shot on a certain kind of film. What that means going forward is is almost like kind of frightening. Like, People are like talked a lot about deep fakes, you know, and they're like, oh yeah, like they're going to fake a voice or they're going to fake a person's face or whatever. Like this is essentially like we're getting to the point where you can just fake any situation. You can just create visually any situation you can think of. And I think the logical thing is that eventually pretty soon, I would imagine it'll be able to do this with video, right? And I think with moving images, sound is not too far behind it. You start to think of how this could be applied to all sorts of other things. I mean, presumably... If it can do this with art, with visual art, I think it can do it with other forms of art, right? Will we discover when it's like you could have any art available to you, any type of content available to you, perhaps, that like what you want is somebody else's brain in mind, right? Like I want to like understand or see something or hear something from somebody else's brain. But I don't know what it's like if if the other brain can just create any of those things that I would be intrigued by. Like this art is a great example. Clearly this non-brain entity can create things that surprise and delight me that feel as authentic and original as any art that I've looked at. It's obvious that the systems that are creating this are very advanced and they are only going to get better. They're not going to get worse. There is no going back to a state where this is not possible. And so when you think about what that looks like down the road, Like maybe not everybody feels this way, but I can kind of like in the middle of my brain, I get this like very upsetting feeling when I think about 
what space actually is, which is like this endless nothing and actually nothing. And what is that? Like, it's very upsetting to think about. To me, when I think about like the future of this stuff, it's sort of a similar kind of weight in the middle of my brain, which is like, where does this go? Like, it feels like all of reality is almost called into question by the technology. And maybe I'm overstating it. Maybe I sound crazy. I'm not saying the computer's sentient or it's alive or it's a, it got a soul now or anything, but there's something in between the lines of all this where it's just sort of like, it leaps beyond even my understanding of what is happening. Like it leaps to a place that's almost like, I don't want to say spiritual, but it leaps to a kind of almost religious place where it's like, how can this be? You kind of feel like when you do it, how can this be? Like, how is it possible? My guest today is David Holes, the founder and CEO of MidJourney. David, thank you for being here. Thank you. Just before this, I said, can I say CEO? And you didn't want me to, but uh, I've done it anyway. And we're all going to have to live with the repercussions. Oh, no. I've been exposed. Okay. Let's say you and I met at a party. Let's pretend we're at a cool party. You don't know where I'm coming from. And I'm like, what do you do? And you say, I'm the founder and CEO of MidJourney. And I go, what's that? How would you describe it to somebody just randomly at a party? I try not to. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty low key. But if they ask, they're like, what does MidJourney do? Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I never really wanted a company. I just kind of wanted a home. And so like MidJourney is sort of meant to be like my new home for the next 10 years to work on a lot of cool projects that I care about with with cool people and that hopefully are are good for everybody else too. You know, like we have sort of themes that I want to work on. And the themes, if I had to put it in three words, it's like reflection, imagination, and coordination. I feel like like in order to kind of flourish as a civilization, we're going to have to like make a lot of new things, and making new things involves those three words. Wow. Uh, and we need a lot more around them, like infrastructure, new fundamental forms of infrastructure, really, around each of them. And we were actually originally working more on the like reflection tools and coordination tools. We were doing some imagination stuff, but then like there were certain breakthroughs on the AI side um, that were happening. It was about like a year and a half ago. Now it looks like everything's blowing up, but like a year and a half ago in San Francisco, we all went to the same Christmas parties right. and stuff. All the AI people are kind of out here and we were kind of all together. And I'm like, these diffusion models, it seems different. It seems different than the other right. stuff. And they're like, yeah, no, this is different. And like, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And we're all kind of just talking. And, and I'm eventually like, I think there's like going to be a human side of this, that it's not just about making pictures, but that there's a sort of a back and forth. There's like a lot more to this that's going to, going to be hard to figure out from just optimizing a single number in a computer program right and there's there may even be some like taste involved and no one knows what that is uh and like and i'm like i i think there's something i have to contribute to right um yeah can you imagine though i'm a guy i you just met at a party i've got no context whatsoever yeah. about mid journey and you just told me that which all by the way all very interesting i have many questions related to what you just said yeah. i'm gonna dumb it down a little bit only because maybe not every single person will know but go ahead yeah mid-journey is known right now the company has risen to kind of a place in the spotlight because it is what i think we're all sort of talking about now is like an ai art tool or a tool to create art based on artificial intelligence and machine learning and all of these sort of other very complex technologies that are kind of fusing together to make something that is relatively new. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think most people would say you've built a tool that can take 
human language text, like basic, like English prompts or whatever, maybe you do it in different languages, I don't know, and convert a prompt, like a description of something into a piece of art that is created basically wholly by a machine. Is that correct? Yeah. I try to avoid like the word art almost, to be honest. Okay. Okay. Because I I think that it's like not really about art. It's about imagination. And sometimes people use their imaginations for art, but usually not. Right. And so I usually think of it as we're trying to create these machine augmented imaginative powers. Uh, Sometimes I almost call it like a vehicle. Right. You know, people like to ask, like, what are we doing? Like, is it like the invention of photography and how it changed painting? Right. And I tend to say, no, it's much more like the invention of the combustion engine and the car. And like when we invented cars, they're faster than us, but we didn't chop our legs off. We have to really move somewhere. You move through vehicles. So it's kind of like a vehicle for imagination. You really have to go somewhere. You're going to use right. these vehicles like jets and boats and cars. We never like have a little robot as like our icon. It's like a sailboat. Right. You know, it's very much trying to kind of help people explore and imagine these like seas of, of like aesthetic possibilities. I mean, it's interesting that there's a little bit of like a defensive stance you have to take now because the art aspect of it gets under the skin of a certain part of the audience that's like, wait a second, you know, what is this thing doing? What does it mean? What does it mean for all these different industries? I think a lot of people feel, and maybe you guys have had to play some new round of defense because of it, that this has been engineered to kind of like upend industries, right? But you don't, you're saying you don't really view it that way. No, and that to me is actually very uninteresting. Uh, like the idea of like making fake art is really uninteresting. Like who cares? <laughs> uh, or making fake photos uh, is really like to me is not. It's like, I think what's interesting is making stuff that never could have existed before. I don't like it when somebody makes a deep fake photo of a dog. We make it really right. hard to do that. Other ones right. do that well. To me, the most interesting images are the ones that don't look like anything we've ever seen before. They don't look human. They don't look like the AI made. They look like something new. And all we know is that it's this new thing. It's this new frontier. Right. I should tell you that the art for this podcast was generated by mm-hmm. Midjourney. Cool. Uh, and it ended up producing results that I think are like at once very familiar to me, like in terms of stylistically, there's something very familiar to me about yeah. it, but there's also something about it that is um, like totally original, I think, to your point. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll tell you this, like, I'll give you my stance a little bit, yeah. because one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, one of the reasons I want to talk about this at all is, mm-hmm. um, as you know, I'm a huge nerd, and I've spent my entire life, like, being, you know, sort of mesmerized and interested in emerging technology in all sorts of different forms, and when I started using MidJourney, MidJourney's producing something that, to me, feels, I, I'll try to avoid using the term art. You can use it, it's fine. It feels like it's creating something very original. I could say like, okay, I know where some of this stuff is coming from. Like I can kind of understand like there's certain styles that are present or if you give it a prompt to get a certain style, you can get that. But to me, it was like, and I still feel this having processed it now for, you know, weeks and months, it may be the most amazing thing that I've ever seen a machine do. I totally understand the idea that you're not trying to build a tool that is like a new Photoshop although I think there are applications that are obvious that are in that realm. Mm-hmm. When I first asked about what it was, you used three words. What were the three words that you used? It was uh, reflection, imagination, and coordination. Okay, so coordination and reflection. I want to talk about like what that means because I understand the imagination part and I think I understand how you mm-hmm. are thinking about like what MidJourney does mm-hmm. now in that department. But tell me about like those roots of reflection and, and coordination. Like What was this? before it was what it is? Um, we were working on a lot of things trying to like understand human minds like individually to help people reflect and then also to kind of help people come together and like work on things better. And so we were doing a lot of like quantitative psychology and like structured thinking uh, to kind of like create, like bootstrap up a hive mind as fast as you can. Kind of a futurist and say lots of weird things. Um, no, that's good. Are you saying that like the roots of this are kind of like, can we get this thing to think on a collective level for us to like solve problems? Yeah, I think there's two areas. There's both like, how do you help somebody think about like who they are and what they want and just kind of like deal with their things. Uh, and then there's also like, how do you help them find like the right people? Anything big needs other people. So how do you kind of find the people? And I don't know, when I was like 20, I would say you have to have your goals and then you align people who share the goals. And then I, I've done that. And it turns out that the second the goals change, the groups blow apart because like it's about values or something. And then if you, you align right. people around values, and then over like five or 10 years, it blows apart again because it turns out that our values like change in our lives, our experience change. Right. And so then maybe sort of this idea is like, we need some higher than values and maybe it's aesthetics. It's like not about what's like right or wrong or what's important or not important. It's like really deep down. It's about like what we feel is beautiful and what we feel is ugly. 
that like really leads to the things that we value and the things that we actually tried to build. That's interesting. And so there's this idea of like maybe aesthetics themselves are like some of the highest things. And maybe aesthetics can be like a foundational layer of like a social world in a way that like is beyond where it is. Because right now it's like the internet, what is it? It's about like Facebook. It's like, who's your mom and who went to school with? And then like on Twitter, it's like almost like, like you say one thing a day that pisses people off and then half of them will follow you. And like, those are both shitty foundations for like a better social world. I would never want to build a team that way. So there's something really interesting on like mid journey where people come together and they're like, man, you love like Egyptian space pyramids too. That's like me. And then like you have nothing else in common, but you both love Egyptian space pyramids. And it actually like means something really deep. Right. I think that like aesthetics have the potential to be a foundation of a better social and coordinated layer in a way that's like really hard to understand, but that is actually like really interesting. I mean, that's a fascinating and frankly, I have so many questions around just the basic concept there. But like, I would agree with you that aesthetics do tend to bring people together. I mean, but aesthetics conceptually, the idea of, you know, having a taste or a preference for something, there's a limit I would imagine to people who identify around an aesthetic position, meaning my mother, who's a wonderful, wonderful and extremely insane person, she could talk about things she's visually finds beautiful or whatever, but I would not say it's like a central part of her personality or something that she has a, an enormous amount of interest in, right? The thing about Facebook is that a raw opinion or sharing something like, oh, I found this article interesting or whatever is very straightforward in the sense of we all know what an idea is or an interesting article or an opinion, but I don't know that everybody thinks on an aesthetic level. Maybe I'm not giving everybody enough credit. It's possible. No, I, I think you're right. People don't think about it, but it's there. Right. Like I tried this. I was like, what are your aesthetics that lead to your values that lead to your goals? Like you can ask the question and almost nobody can answer it. Right. It's a really hard question. But all of a sudden you give them something like Midjourney, and it's like, you can make a picture of anything. What do you want? And like everything just spills out. And then they go through this whole like hero's mid journey and like the process of looking them through that journey. Like you it, like it's all there and it's very clear. Like you, you, a lot of stuff comes out actually. But if I'm like a, and I'm going to give you like a really extreme example. And so forgive me if this feels like a, like a, oh, fine, a yeah. gotcha or whatever. But if I'm like a neo-Nazi, for instance, yeah. I might love Star Wars, let's say. Mm-hmm. Although I always find it fascinating when like people who are really into fascism, like are like, I like Star Wars. I'm into the rebels or whatever. I'm like, you know, it's. But, okay, let's say I like Star Wars, you like Star Wars, but, like, one of us is a white supremacist and one of us isn't. We may share some aesthetic interests, right? Or we may both love a certain artist, right? You know, we're Lichtenstein fans or whatever. But, like, at the end of the day, deep down, I don't know that that aesthetic preference has any deeper resonance on who we are. There's a limit, right? Well, So, like, for example, like, you know, you're a rebel, obviously, and then, like, a Nazi nowadays is also kind of a rebel in their own way. So you do have something in common, but, like, but there's probably also other things. I mean, that is a leap, (laughs) I would say. I mean, I get what you're saying. They're definitely going against the grain, right? I got it. They're going against the grain. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, definitely. A lot of us are rebels, and there are different types of rebels, but we are rebels. But now, like, I think there are other things, too. Right. So you don't want to just lock on rebels. You want to have something that's, like, a little bit broader and more interesting. So the question is, after you make a bunch of picture of rebels, what's the next thing you do? You know? And then what's that What's that all come together, you know? I mean, now we're, like, very far afield from, like, I've got a mid-journey bot that I can talk to and it can make images for me. I mean, how would you describe it? Do you describe it as AI? Yeah, I mean, it is, it is AI. I don't, like, I kind of avoid the words AI and art, actually, both together. 
weirdly. The problem with words like AI is that people give it a lot of agency and like will and purpose and meaning. Right. And so whereas like this thing, it doesn't have a story or a narrative or like any will. Right. And it's not sentient, doesn't have a soul. <laughs> it does learn actually from lots of people and it changes right. and there's a co-evolution. It's almost like mid-journey is a flower and then the users are bees. And like the flower is trying to be beautiful for the bees, but the bees pick which flowers are the ones that get to survive. Mm. And so like there's this co-evolution between the flowers and the bees. Like there's not a lot of will. There is some will. There's a will to be beautiful. Um, And then there's something weird about flowers being beautiful because we find them beautiful too. It's like, what does that mean? It's because they're not really for us specifically. It's like, why do both us and the bees find something beautiful? Like it's sort of speaking some weird objective thing. No, and I, I can understand that from a philosophical level. I mean, like, what is it doing? It's a program. Yeah, it's a program. It's a program with a lot of models in it. There's a model that models language. Uh, and there's a thing that models the connection between language and images. There's another thing that tries to model what images look like. Right. There's actually also models that try to understand like beauty, like what is beautiful, actually. And then there's other models that try to understand like trade-offs between like diversity versus creativity versus like how literal should you be? How metaphorical should you be? How do you read things? And so it's kind of a, it's like a structure and there's a lot of like duct tape and you know, it's, it's weird because like people will be like, is it alive? Like, well, how does it understand things? If I say something like sadness or happiness, how is it able to make an image of an emotion that it's never had? Like they go ask these questions, like, what is this? Like, that's not, it doesn't sound like a piece of software, you know, but it's not an AI because it's never had those experiences, right? Like, what does it mean? There's a lot of really interesting questions. I think a lot of people, they hear AI, they think there's like a machine somewhere with like a glowing red orb in the middle of it. And like, it's like pulsing. Yeah, yeah exactly. And there's like some neural net. Mm-hmm. You've built some custom hardware where there's like- There some, is a neural net. It's not like a digital brain. It's like software, right? These programs- they do share things with our brains, like like how an airplane shares something with a bird. Like they both share aerodynamics and physics in the sky. Like these things are sharing some physics of thought right. with us. Right, but I'm just saying, like, it's not how. You build software, the software does some pretty sophisticated things. It is hosted on like a AWS rack somewhere, essentially. I mean, maybe yeah. you don't use AWS yeah. or whatever. But so what is the product? Like you've got investors, right? No. You don't? No. You're bootstrapped? Yeah. Okay. Now, listen, I've paid for a subscription. I'm a mid-journey freak now. So is that the product? People pay for subscriptions to use it? Yeah. I, I try to have very honest business. It's like, you're not going to run on your computer, go on the cloud, and then we're going to, that pays, takes money, and then we'll take some margin on that, and that's the business. And you feel like that's a good foundation for like whatever this thing is going to be, like you can build off of that. Yeah. You don't have like Mark Andreessen coming to you being like, I'll give you X number of billions of dollars if you can let me turn this into whatever Mark Andreessen wants. We do have a lot of investors coming to us, offering us lots of money. You're not taking the money? No, we haven't taken anything so far. That's pretty amazing. Can the business be profitable like this? We're profitable already. You are? Yeah. Wow. That's one reason not to take money is we're already profitable. Well, I mean, if you're making money, it's definitely a good reason not to take it, right? Yeah, I mean, because people come to us and they offer us money and I'm like, what am I going to spend it on? <laughs> and they're like, it's good to have it. You should have it. And I'm like, right. I don't, we have money. We're trying to spend it already. And they're like, well, you should just have money. You should take us, take our advice. It's not about the money. It's about advice. Or like they try to make those arguments. And so far I haven't heard a very compelling argument. So you're happy to iterate on this product where it's at now and let the users sort of maybe dictate some of the direction because of the way that they're using it. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of beautiful. It's like we make something and people like it, they pay us money and then if they don't like it, we don't make money. But like, so we have, we're like, we're trying to make something that people like because it supports our stuff. And then like, it's very right. sort of honest and straightforward and it's an easy business. Like, keep it this way. I would keep it this way. 
I mean, presumably there's commercial applications for this, right? Yeah. I think of this like, cause I'm like a guy who runs like media businesses. Yeah. I think, oh wow, there's all the time, like I want art for something. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going to get into a bunch of questions about the art yeah, yeah, side go ahead. of it. But all the time, like I'm in a newsroom, I'm like publishing, you know, 20 stories a day or 50 stories a day or whatever. And every one of those pieces has some art attached to it. Like presumably you're already doing more enterprise level stuff where like, I just want like some design for a story or for a blog that I'm writing or whatever that you could generate that any sort of infinite iterations of original pieces of art. Like, is that a part of the business? I would say we're a consumer business that also has like some professionals. So it's probably like 70% consumers and 30% professionals. Right. The professionals are mostly using it for like brainstorming and concepting. And then the consumers are having fun and sort of having these reflective spiritual, personal experiences. Right. Um, I'm not that excited by professional use, even though like I'm happy when I see people are finding it to be useful. Right. The regular people have definitely been a lot more motivating and inspiring to me than the professional uses. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though, he's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I have very little interest in the world as it is. I want to like make it really different. And it's much easier to do something really different for consumers than it is to like have that immediately impact the sort of professional world. Right. And so like for video game people come to me, they're like, well, and like they literally, they have to file us under their Photoshop budget because like the video game is already budgeted out and it takes 16 months and I have to wait for them to make their next video game. And I'm like, this is bullshit. Right. I'm so happy that my business isn't reliant on somebody finishing their video game in 16 months, you know? And that's what that world is like. Right. Listen, I thought a lot about this. Like if I'm making a video game, especially if I'm like <clears throat> an independent developer, like an indie dev, I need art. I need assets. Like I yeah. want to make like, I want to make this world that hasn't yeah. been made before. And like normally, and this actually gets into this part of the conversation I wanted to have about art and about the sort of implications of it. You know, I might go and hire an artist or whatever to do that. But now like mid journey, potentially, like if I'm using it in that way, I can create assets and backgrounds and scenery yeah. or even brainstorm off of that to build something from like, that's just, that's not the exact thing, but a kind of iteration of it. But there is a certain very vocal segment of people out there in the world and there are people who are artists, who are, you know, digital artists or who are working artists today, or even people who are doing fine art that's like hanging in galleries. And they're like, one, this is theft because it's using our work. It's using work that is out there that is available to see as inspiration for these works. And two, it's like they're not getting anything when it does create new work. Not only is it making their jobs more sort of obsolete, but it's also like doing it on the backs of all of their work. It's a, not a non-compelling argument. There is some reason to think that all of those sort of notions are in some way true. Like, what's your take on that? There's a lot of misunderstandings around the technology. And it makes sense that, like, artists really aren't going to understand what this is doing. Some of my favorite images I've made with any of these models that looked artistic were trained only on photos. And so what this is, is it's a system that understands what images look like. Like, if you've seen enough photos in your life and then you see a painting, you could describe the painting without having ever having like been trained on paintings. And so like what right. this is, this is a thing that understands images and then it understands language, understands the connection between languages and images. And there's some elements of like knowing what a style looks like requires having seen the word and the style before. So there's like some connections to it, right. but like largely speaking, it's not, I think working like the way they think it is. And so the problem is, is the artists are scared about being in the data set, but literally you can just take one of their pictures and feed into one of these models with it ever, never having seen it before. And it can make pictures like that. So it's not about the training data, first off. If it understands images, it's game over for that battle. It wants to see enough general images, enough to like know what textures are and know what colors are. You can show it a picture and it can make pictures like that, never having seen that specific art style before. Right. So I mean, you know, that obviously raises like all kinds of weird questions about like, you know, how fine-tuned does that get? Can I pick any artist, like a photographer I like on Instagram and say in the style of this Instagram photographer and like it'll do something? Well, I mean, you could certainly put a photo of theirs into another service and it'll give you a photo that looks like it. Right. So, you know, that's, I think that's really the more, that's kind of the technical thing. Right. And so basically if these systems understand images, they'll be able to copy anything you show them, regardless of whether or not they're trained on them. So I think the training data is the wrong battle to fight, but there is potentially a battle to fight over like use of these tools, like what is good and what is bad use. Right. Um, and certainly like the law covers that already. If you make something that's really derivative of another artist, like too derivative, it does not okay even legally right so, like there is it is covered a little bit by law already maybe there should be something more strict because like it's getting easier uh but it, that's that's the battle to fight i think is like what's too similar not like this training data thing 
you know, I think about like CGI in a way. Yeah. If you're building an environment for like a film or something, right? Like, and you're like, I want to make a mountain or yeah. whatever. You're not going to hand draw every polygon that builds the mountain, right? The computer is going to figure out. And even now, like, it'll just basically terraform a mountain, right? In Unreal or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And once upon a time, most people couldn't read and write. And now everybody can. And there are more writers now and more readers now professionally than there ever were before. Right. Well, it's kind of like photography. Yeah. Right. Like everybody has like a kind of pro grade camera in their pocket all the time now. And so like we are just awash in really high quality photos. Whereas like if you go back 50 years, not even 25 years, the best phone camera you could have was really shitty and was obviously low quality. We weren't awash in just photos everywhere. Right. And like in the last 25 years, pretty much everybody's become like somewhat of a pro am photographer. Yeah. Maybe this is a straw man. I don't want to throw a straw man at you, but like, is there a question about like deep fakes and sort of like creating reality that yeah, doesn't no, I mean, exist? Is that something real, that you guys grapple with? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a real risk. I, for us specifically, we, we did some special algorithms. It's very hard to make it, make a deep fake. Usually what it does, if you ask it to make a photo, it'll look realistic, but there's like something to it in the lighting and the shading and the views where it's like just far enough away from a photo that it looks very realistic, but your body like knows it's not a real image immediately. What if I'm imagining something that looks exactly like a real image? We're not doing that right now. My imagination has a limit? Yeah, right now it does. Yeah. Yeah. But do you think that limit will be lifted? I don't know. For certain users, maybe for this guy? I got some very creative ideas. Maybe let me check it out. There's lots of pros and cons to doing that. So we found that when we flipped it over that boundary, sometimes it looks perfect. And then sometimes it looks really like uncanny valley zombie-like. Right. It's like upset. So right now, if we flip it, it's like kind of say 50 50 50 percent time it looks perfect percent time it looks like uncanny and the uncanny right. is so like upsetting to me as like a visual aesthetic person i don't want to make anything that looks like that right and so like i i just it's better to just not allow that at all maybe in the future it'll be so good that it never looks uncanny well, i'd say the right? technology is not yeah i mean there's no chance just to be clear there's no chance that in like five years from now that we won't be at a point where mid-journey or other programs like it will be able to create completely photorealistic if not full moving images for sure still like in five years time right yeah yeah there's going to be multiple directions here i think one will be trying to like make photorealistic duplications of reality and i think the other one will be like making things sort of sort of super real like beyond real right and i think the beyond real stuff is where it's both interesting as a human and probably where all the like consumer and commercial stuff is I will say I'm unabashedly like a fan of this thing, but like I also can understand people's fear about it, but people are afraid of a lot of things that computers do and for very good reason. I would also say, and this is kind of your problem, people are afraid of people like you. I don't mean you personally, you're a lovely person um, as far as I know. Uh, the, <laughs> but like you are like, hey, I am interested in imagination, all these things. And like, if you ask like, a Mark Zuckerberg, like the early stages of Facebook, you know, he would be like, I just want to connect people. You know, I just want people to like get together in this social environment or whatever and connect. But like actually down the road as that thing developed, Mark Zuckerberg made a lot of like really crazy, weird, bad decisions. You don't have to go on record by agreeing with me, but I think in your heart, you know, it's true. And so what do you do to protect against like these things that feel like creative decisions now, right? Like we couldn't have seen the misinformation machine that Facebook was going to become with like all of these bad actors and all, you know, sort of the ways that you could abuse the systems. Like we didn't know that that was going to be a thing until like we started to see the actual abuse. How do you protect against the things where you've got to take in like the worst of humanity? Like, are you doing that on an active basis? Right. Cause like the thing with a tool like this is that the best parts of humanity will find like amazing things to do with it, but there is an equal opposite 
actor there, right? Who will do the worst things with it. So tell me like how the, you build a product like this and don't let it become destructive. Yeah, so my, my philosophy is that creators uh, imbue their values into things they create, whether they know it or not, and that those things have a way of spreading those values even when they're no longer around. That does actually put a lot of blame on people like Zuckerberg. It implies that he made Facebook with the wrong values. I don't know, Mark, but uh, an interesting example that I like to think about is um, the defaults of something like Facebook versus MySpace. Like, obviously, he was aware of MySpace. We know that, right? Definitely. He was the main competitor. Yeah. And when I remember going out to MySpace for the first time, and my page was blank, and it said I had one friend. I was like, who's my friend? Oh, my God, it's Tom. Right. And who's Tom? Oh, it's this nice guy. He, he, he's the guy, maker of MySpace. This is cool. Like, Tom's my friend. He must care about me. I bet I could make other friends that I don't know. Like, MySpace is a place where I can make friends. Right. And Tom cares. And when you sign on to Facebook, you have no friends. And Mark is certainly not your friend. <laughs> I never considered this, but he's not your first friend on Facebook. That's definitely true. And like, true. what the fuck does that mean? What the fuck does that mean? If not only is he not your first friend, but you have no friends when you join. Right. 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 When you join Facebook, you are this friendless non-person. <laughs> then, and they, so you have to try to grab out to anybody who you already know. Like, please, somebody who already knows me, be my friend on Facebook. Right. Interesting. Huh. And like, these, there's like these really deep details that... Right are made by real people who have values. Like he had to think about this. Obviously he thought about it. like, he's not dumb. Like he must've thought about it. I mean, maybe he wanted to be your first friend, but they were like, actually like MySpace, Tom could sue us for like IP stuff, like infringement. If um, we do the same thing that he did, you know, we, I think we know he wasn't that cautious about being sued because it happened. Right. Uh. <laughs> that's true. I mean, that's true. <laughs> If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. 
Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot of interesting things like that. I think that actually maybe everything is that way. The goal is like not to not make things, but to make things with like really good values and, and to have people with good values making things. And like that making things is not equivalent between any people. I agree with you, but like, what is the expression? Like, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, yeah. or whatever. I mean, I agree that that you can avoid some of these mistakes, like if you have a different set of like goals or values. But like, you already do things with Mid Journey where you're trying to sort of protect against like misuse, right? Like, yeah. obviously, like hate speech or, or images of violence. Yeah. I mean, I definitely like tried some stuff that I didn't think was like going to produce a violent result. And it was like, we don't do like this kind of image or whatever. Yeah. I actually have a question about porn, which is a big one. Go ahead, yeah. I mean, my guess is if you wanted Mid Journey to create like incredible original like porn scenes, because there's a lot of pornography on the internet, right? Would you say there's a, yeah. quite a bit of it? And it's all a visual medium, basically. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously some erotica out there. There's somewhere you've got the X-rated mid-journey instance running, right? Where I can create like full-on porn scenes, right? Don't lie to me. I know the truth. Somebody there is doing it. Yeah. You know, when I first thought about this problem, I was like, who wants an AI-generated booty? <laughs> who doesn't? And then like, honestly, as the algorithms get over time, like I see some booties and I'm like, it's a pretty nice booty. Like, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Like, it obviously can do really good. Like, just how you right. can make beautiful anything else. I mean, that's a huge deal, though. Like, I can't even do, like, a Renaissance painting of nudes, like, tasteful, artistic nudes yeah. with mid-journey, correct? No. Right. Like, is there a tier where I can do nudes? This is really just I'm asking for myself, but, like, you know. No. You're not going to let anybody ever do a nude? I, you know, I think it's about, like, what is a thing that, like, helps the world like what's and so like for example there are two things we have tried i can give you two stories okay well one is when their system wasn't filtering well enough you'd have people trying to basically create like their fantasy person basically mm -hmm. and they're like yep. become super fixated on like this redhead whatever like it becomes this very specific thing over time right i don't know if that feels healthy it's certainly a market <laughs> right I mean, by the way, that phrase, I don't know if it's healthy, but it's certainly a market, is like 90% of the things that are available online. Like, literally, social media is like, I don't know if it's healthy, but there's certainly, a, you know? Someone's going to do it, and I think it's not going to be healthy. Um, right. Now, there are other things that we tried. So, for example, we did this thing where we, we created this chat room. We called it Not Safe, Don't Judge. And we threw like 100 people into it and we turned off all the filters. Oh my God. Just to see what would happen. Oh my God. And it was really interesting. We put them all in and we go, there's no filters, everybody. You can do whatever you want, but everyone else is going to see what you see. There's got to be some people who would be shameless in that scenario. It was very quiet at first. And then someone goes, boobs. <laughs> and then it, there's some boob pictures. And someone goes, like, 
ass and then it was like an ass picture and everyone's like kind of startled at first like they didn't know what to do right and then somebody goes uh 50 person orgy in a walmart and it's just like these piles of naked bodies in a walmart sounds very disturbing and then all of a sudden everyone else goes uh it was 50 person orgy in space alien orgies and then all of a sudden everyone just starts losing their minds and it gets really strange eventually it went to like bill cosby eating out hitler like it got pretty intense oh my god i mean that's a very that's a very that's a full cancel on that image i would say yeah that's no got and then, everything but, but, but what was happening was like it became so absurd that everyone yeah. just started to kind of like let go of all of the bullshit that they knew that like that they would normally be outraged of and when somebody finally <laughs> did bill cosby eating out hitler like yeah. that, that was like an hour in okay yeah and is that when you shut it down was that the was that when you closed no, that i shut channel? it down shortly after yeah but uh okay. <laughs> so because imagine but that's like such a small sample and like it, it went immediately to a place that would offend like probably 99 percent of the like normal users of the internet oh no but, but, but i think what's interesting is how about the psychological experience of all people had in this room because it went from like boobs to like you know it kind of escalated to like 50 person orgy in walmart and, like, isn't that what isn't that what always happens though like you're testing the limits no but like no but what happened was is like at some point they kind of like let go during right. this process and they were like it doesn't matter anymore yeah bill cosby now hitler that's really right. funny or someone else did like michael jackson's asshole and it did right. like a butthole where the where the hole was michael jackson's face it was funny it was weird you know those people thought it was funny but like a very large audience would not think it's that just was funny well so this is the thing so like i mean it's not funny like at a at a kind of basic level like you know the cosby stuff is really fucked up and hitler is hitler oh, so yeah. like at a really kind of basic level yeah. like if you're like in good taste, that's very, very not in good no, taste. No, there was no a- taste anymore. It was like everyone just like lost it. They're like, look, nothing matters. Like, this is all bullshit. Like, it doesn't really, like, everyone kind of let go. Right. It felt very cathartic. But because at first they were really shy. And by the end, they had all let go. Yeah. It was kind of a beautiful process. I don't know, though, but like it went to a place that was pretty offensive, right? I mean, I'm glad that you don't allow that particular type of use in the broader. I I think it was really interesting. And I would say everybody who was involved in the experience felt it was like cathartic and a positive like spiritual experience because they realized how pent up they were in stupid ways. And like maybe the last thing was bad. Like we could say that was bad, but there was something. No, the last thing was bad. The last thing was bad. I don't I don't want to be like, you know, like a the policing culture or whatever but i mean yeah, you can do it. but it's the re- no but the reality is like actually like i think that raises an interesting sort of scenario yeah. and it's like what do people do when given this kind of unbridled power to create whatever's in their mind like yeah. i like to think people come up with like really cool stuff that's like awesome but definitely for sure there's a segment of the audience and this is actually gets back to my what i was asking you which is like so you did ran an experiment with a room full of people they were just like users like test like beta users or something it was it was it was a bunch of users we did it for one hour right and i said if anybody leaked an image i would ban them for life right so that's your little kind of window into it you're like okay this could get pretty crazy oh yeah obviously the way you've built the system is that you cannot do those things i guess like the question is like do you have to be constantly vigilant about like the ways that the thing might be abused? Like how do you counter like abuse you haven't even thought of yet? We have like 40 moderators who kind of watch things and then they just, they have, they have a little slash ban command. So they say slash ban titties and also don't use the word titties anymore. Right. Are you actively like yesterday? Was there something that mid journey produced that was like a surprise to the moderators? I know that there are words that were banned today. Like what? What was banned? I'm super curious. Like, but today you're way far into it. There's like, how many people have used MidJourney? Do you know the numbers? Millions. Millions of people. Yeah. So millions of people have been in there, but you're still today, yeah. as of October 5th or whatever. Yeah. 
You've banned words. I'd love to know what the last banned word was. The moderators came back recently and they're like, David, we want to unban the following words. Blood, bloody, sexy, kill, killing, cutting, disturbing, and gut. <laughs> wow. What an image. They're like, they're like, what do you think, David? We could probably unban those things. And I was like, okay, let me think about this. Uh, child with guts spilled across the ground, disturbing huge pools of blood. And like, ooh, yeah, we probably don't want that. Right. Or I was like, uh, I was like little girl cutting sure. themselves. Like, oh, yeah, that seems bad. Right. Well, okay, but so here's my question for you. And I think you've got like kind of a crazy responsibility. And I'm not saying this to be a jerk at all, but like yeah, yeah. you're just like a guy yeah. who's interested in creating this this product and create these yeah. kind of beautiful and imaginative and exciting images and, and beyond. Yeah. But you're not like a linguist. I don't know your all of your background, but I mean like you're not like an ethicist. Do you employ an ethicist at the company? Do you employ like linguistic experts? How diverse is the team? I think these are like things that people are going to want to know, which is like you mentioned the Bill Cosby Hitler thing and I can think of like a bunch of people who are not like a white Jewish guy and I say this as a white Jewish guy who would be much more offended about some of that stuff or people with different it was experiences pretty bad. I was giving be, that as an example right. of a pretty outrageous thing that was my outrageous and example. I get that no no I understand yeah. it like you were in this experiment somebody took it to this crazy place and then you're like all right we got to shut it down yeah this is sort of what I was trying to get to is like how do you make a company that has all of the lofty and interesting and exciting ideals that I think you have but also protect against building a product that ultimately ends up repeating the mistakes of the Facebooks or the Twitters of the world. Sure. And the question does come down to like, when you're having those conversations, who's in the room? Who's having that conversation with you? Like, what are you going to do? This is my being putting my like hardcore journalist hat on. Like, what are you going to do to make sure that you have conversations with a big enough set of people and with a smart enough set of people who are experts in these fields, like in the fields of like ethics and linguistics and like, you know, history in that it's a diverse group, like to actually make a product that serves everybody and not just one that feels like cool to like a couple of, you know, Jewish guys like us, but may not work for a million other people in the world. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of questions there. First off, I'm okay not serving everybody. Like if this is Midgerny is a two million person thing and it's ever bigger than that, I'm happy with that. But you want to make it inclusive, I would assume. Yeah, I want it to be inclusive, but also if it's only two million people, I'd be okay with that. Like I don't like I'm not, I don't have this like this desire. You want two million of the same people though? You don't want two million of the same people. Two million white Jewish guys. If it makes two million white Jewish guys really happy and it improves their lives in a significant way, like they've made the world better. Now, obviously I'd like to make it diverse, like, and we try really hard there, but like, right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's more important that it's good for the people who interact with it than that it has as many people as possible. And that's the first trade-off. That's the first, that's a huge trade-off because most people decided to not make that trade off. No, I agree with you that like, if you're thinking of like the infinite audience, obviously you don't want to be like every person should be in this thing or using this thing or whatever. But like, I guess it's such a sensitive space where like yeah. you've built a tool that can create something out of nothing. Like you yeah. build a tool that can make a dream look like real basically. And yeah. so, yeah. you know, how do you do it the right way? I feel like here's a chance to bring a bunch of people into the conversation that were never there at Google on day one. When I think about any new technology like this, I always think now, and perhaps because I've been so abused by the technology companies that have existed before us, you know, what could go wrong, right? And how do you prevent that? Yeah, there are a lot of things we do. So like I do office hours every week for four hours where I just talk to as many people as I can. Sometimes I'll do a theme thing. Like I brought up like 12 women once and I said like, let's have a women panel. And I want to ask everybody how you feel about bikini photos. <laughs> like, that's, should I ban bikini? I mean, that's one way of getting the women's side of things. Well, but because I, I, every single day, I heard some some asshole dude who's like, "Tits are natural. I like bikini photos. Have as many as you can." 
and then like women who are uncomfortable. And I was like, you know what? I just want to hear a bunch of women talk about this issue of how do you feel about the bikini photos? And like, I will do whatever right. you say. I was like, should I ban bikinis? That was like the simplest question. Did you ban bikinis? They decided as a group, like, we do not want you to ban bikinis, like 95%. It was like pretty unanimous. But we want you to hide them so that none of us ever have to see some dude making a bikini. And so that's what wow. we did. It's a good middle ground. To me, this is so weird because like the reality is like the naked human body is not like on its face offensive to me in any way. Like it's like very normal. No, I agree. Yeah. And it's like funny to think that you've got a buffer against like people abusing the system who are making weird like, you know, sexual bikini photos or whatever. Yeah, I mean, what the women basically said on the on the whole is that they're like, they're basically, even we like a little cleavage, but like what an average guy thinks is sexy, it's really easy for most of us to find creepy and unwelcoming. And so basically, we don't have, we don't feel like we should have to see that, like against our will. That's so true, both in AI and in life. <laughs> There's a lot of these sort of nuanced things. Like, technically, it probably should be able to do a tasteful nude, but it shouldn't be able to do like a hypersexualized nude. Like, technically, like that seems right you know right but it's it's hard that's a really hard boundary you know you know taste is i mean it's a question of art right like yeah. what's porn it's like well you know it when you see it and it's like but there's different levels of that right so we've been trying to teach the system actually lately some of these nuances we have certain users who go in and they rate images randomly right we find that on the whole people very rarely say anything is offensive like very rare so when they say it it's interesting right and then we and we aggregate all those together and then we teach the ai we're like hey Regardless of whether or not something is offensive, this is how people are responding to your images. Interesting. And then what it does, it actually changes its behavior. Do you worry you're you're creating a kind of prudish AI? Like, do you worry that like you're actually making a sexually repressed AI that like is going to be weird about sex and human bodies? <laughs> I think the question is, is like when we build these technologies, like what battles do we want to fight and where do we want to push the world forward? Right. And like me, I want the world to be more imaginative, like, and I want to push the like boundaries of like aesthetics and creation. I think that's really interesting and is really worthwhile, but I can be a little picky. I'm not as interested in doing that for violence or sexuality. Right. Like there is an argument that's like push the boundaries of sexuality. Let's make the world way more sexual. Someone else can do that. I just don't feel spiritually compelled for that. Yeah. And so, but I think that like there's this broader thing, which is like letting people reflect the average person comes in here and they say something like Maltese dog in heaven. And I, and I reach out and I'm like, Hey, why'd you do that? That's interesting. And they go, because my dog just died. And I'm like, oh, shit, are you okay? And they're like, yeah, this is making me feel better. Or there was like another woman and she goes, like she was putting in these weird lyrics. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, these don't show up on Google. And she goes, when I was very young, my older brother died and all he left me was this like this cassette tape of these songs. And I'm literally just putting lyrics in and I'm feeling closest person never got to be part of my life. It's wow. not always death. There was wow. one person who was like, Temple of Donuts. And I'm like, why are you doing Temple of Donuts? And I'm like, well, I'm an atheist, but I don't really understand worship or religion, but I do understand like donuts and sweets. It's like combining all the things I don't understand with the things I do understand. And I'm like trying to understand like what is worship? The Hong Kong girl, uh, she, she said, uh, I, I'm a woman, I'm in Hong Kong. And the one thing your parents in Hong Kong never want you to be is an artist. Hmm. And so I'm a banker and I'm a good banker. But now as I'm starting to get to use Midjourney, I'm starting to get to feel like I'm getting to be the person I never got to be. And I'm having to think about that. And so, like, these are, like, the good stories. There's, like, no, those are great stories. Somebody else is just, like, huge tits covered in blood. <laughs> and it's, like, I don't care about that person. That's not a real human story. Right. And, like, maybe there's something going on there, but it's not interesting. Like, there's so many interesting things going on, and I want to create a space for that. And and, I've, and I'm doing that. There's a path that we see over and over again with people in mid-journey. I almost call it, like, the hero's mid-journey. And what happens is they come in, and they realize they can make pictures of something they like. Like, for me, it was cats and cyberpunk, right? 
I'm like, okay, I make cyberpunk cats. I'm like, okay, I'll make cyberpunk Shinto priests, cyberpunk ninjas, and make cyberpunk, cyberpunk, and I'm making cyberpunk everything. And then all of a sudden, like, you, you combine all the things you like, and then you just burn out. And you're like, oh my god, I never liked cyberpunk. I never want to see cyberpunk again. Cyberpunk isn't me. And then, right. and then it's like month one, month one. And then month two is you're like, but then who am I? And then you start looking at everybody else's pictures. You're like, Art Deco, am I Art Deco? Or like vaporwave, am I vaporwave? Right. And then you start like looking at everything, and you're and you're kind of saying like you know, and you're trying to do this path of like, who am I? What is my real aesthetic? And then you learn a lot. People learn like all this art history and all these movements, and they start putting things together into like this sense of who they are. And then like month three right. is like you have this like aesthetic universe, and you're starting to like apply it to everything. You're like, and it's like I know it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's all these things together, and you're like creating all this stuff, and it's like you're like having to like your people are paying off aesthetic debts. They're like exploring the nature of their identities. And then they're like expressing it. They're like, they're working on all this shit. And like, it's really, really healthy. And it's literally just regular people. And almost nobody shares anything. It's crazy. Like almost no pictures ever shared and almost no pictures ever sold. And it's just like, it's mostly just regular people having this like really healthy experience. So to be clear, basically you see this as a form of therapy. Is that correct? At least 30% of all the use is literally art therapy. Right. Wow. Mental health through AI. That was entirely unexpected, but it's really important. It's clearly this tool for reflection. And then people are starting to meet each other, like, and they're starting to like form these groups and they're like pushing these aesthetic boundaries and discovering new things. And like, that's really beautiful. And that's obviously part of an honest and positive future. And like, that's what I care about. Okay, really quickly. And then we got to wrap up. But do you think that like, there's a future state where it's like mid journey is its own Instagram. It, there's going to be like that, but it's crazier. I think the future is more of like, um, it's more, it's more like liquid imagination swirling around the room and like forming mountains and little trees and animals and little runes. You're trying to figure out how to give people surfboards or boats, like surf, like oceans of liquid imagination, like discover entirely new lands, but it's like very different thing. And it's like, it forms like a new substance that you kind of can create the world with and manifest through and like reflect through and like that's what it's about it's like creating a new substance it's really not about like making an instagram or making porn or huge tits it's obvious that all that stuff will happen but that it doesn't matter like it's not the real thing it's like there was a civilization before engines and after engines and and now the fun thing is moving to a civilization that has these engines of imagination and how does that transform things like how did engines we have highways we have boats we have like huge international trade like there's like a lot of stuff yeah amazon (laughs) that's a little dark a lot of people in technology feel like we have no past a lot of regular people literally feel like we have no future right but like i feel like like we're really mid-journey in this like we have this rich and beautiful past behind us and this like wondrous and unimaginable future ahead of us right and like the whole goal of making anything is to figure out what we can be and what that can be in like a positive and explorative and wonderful humane way and like i don't know that's what I'm trying to do. And hopefully it shows up a little bit in the stuff. But like, yeah, <laughs> I agree. I'm so on board with that sentiment. Like I 100% agree. Like we don't know yet what all of this is going to be. It's like we have to figure that out. And that's why like people are like, we're done. And it's like, no, we just really got started. Like with technology, I think and what it can do. I agree. Like you, you are yeah. echoing a sentiment that I have definitely spoken on on more than one occasion. David, um, this is first off super fucking interesting shit that you're building. Extremely fascinating conversation. We should do like a check in like a year from now or something to see all of the new mid journey things that have been created. So it's going to get really scary. Even the next six months, <laughs> six months is going to be really intense. Like six months is the farthest I can see. Twelve months actually. <laughs> 
I actually don't. Okay, we'll do a six-month check-in. We'll see if mid-journey is at its, um, like, three-quarter journey. <laughs> It's gonna be yeah. It's gonna be it's it's gonna be moving really fast. It's gonna seem frightening to a lot of people, but it's like, it's um, it's like an honest shot at the future, you know. I'm ready, David. Thank you so much. Well, that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week with more What Future. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best. Even the DeSantis family. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.